0: This is H.P.R. episode 2849 entitled H.P.R. N.Y.E. show 2018-2019 part 5. It is hosted by Honky Magoo and is about 129 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is the H.P.R. community comes together to say Happy New Year and chat.
1: This episode of H.P.R. is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org
2: Well, I don't know how well my audio is. I don't have anyone to test against. But I wanted to jump jump on here and talk about the uh see if anyone else around here's been participating in the Sands uh, Sans Holiday Hack Challenge this year. The uh,
3: I have. I'd like to hear about the challenge. I haven't been participating, but I'd certainly like to hear someone who who knows more about it. So uh every year
2: uh Sans puts on the this annual holiday challenge for um, people that are uh, cybersecurity enthusiasts and, uh, like, playing around with their Kali Linux distros. And so, like, last year their, their challenge was uh, using... Well, it was like it's a multi-part type of challenge for, like, last year's. Um, you know, they had, like, a physics game where you had to roll snowballs to be able to get clues uh, from, from different types of elves... Because uh, it's all Christmas themed, right? So uh, you're kind of up at the North Pole helping Santa out and the elves help you out giving you hints. So yeah. you you do uh, terminal challenges throughout the game uh, where you collect more hints and some of them are you know, this process won't start. You know, what what's preventing it from starting or you know, I can't get something to run on my Linux thing. You know, can, can you help me out? And the elves are very thankful so they give you hints and and whatnot for the bigger challenges. Um, so the, to start off on your bigger challenges uh, was uh, the clues they gave you was about uh, like the Equifax hack from 2017, and you actually ended up um, using that same Apache Struts uh, attack on one of their machines that they set up. So they intentionally made their machine vulnerable—a real-life machine out there where everyone is getting into it through the Apache Struts vuln and uh, creating persistence on that machine. And, uh, and you had to set up, you know, your SSH session, but you had to learn, and it's all—it's all about learning throughout the entire thing. You know, they're not expecting you to know the stuff, so that's why they give out plenty of hints. So you had to learn how to set up the SSH session. So your port connection to you know that that box will, uh, would become your pivot. So you could pivot through that box out one side through the other to the rest of their network because that Apache struts box had that one exploit on it, but they didn't have any other type of uh, binaries on the system for you to be able to use to you know, continue your attack. So you actually had to use the binaries on your own system to, uh, run the rest of your attacks throughout, throughout the, the rest of their network, you know? So, I mean, that was kind of the, what kind of got me hooked on it last year was being able to run an attack like that. A lot of red team type of, uh, scenarios. But this year, this year's stuff is a lot more blue team, you know, like you have to, uh, uh, read PCAP files and, uh, and analyze them to see where traffic is and uh, from that traffic create um you know rules for your snort machine, you know, to prevent uh or not prevent but to like alert uh certain types of traffic that you want to see when it comes across your network. Um you know a lot of a lot of little different hacky stuff and it kinda got me started down the path of uh trying to do the hacker stuff. You know, but I, I think the guys that created it are uh, part of a company called CounterHack. They got their own website, but the Saints Holiday Hack Challenge is what the main site for where everything's happening. And you can even still do last year's challenges and everything, and they have write-ups. You know, in case you know if you get so you can kind of see what you're doing. But right now we're in week. We just started week three of the the hack challenge, um, and we still got a couple more weeks to go. They kind of give out a couple grand prizes. You know, they give out a free SANS course, you know, to, like, their top winner, and you know, T-shirts and whatnot for other people, you know, but put a good effort forward uh, because you can, I uh, guess I didn't even say how you win or how you compete to win, is you actually have to put together your documentation skills and document everything that you've done the entire way and submit that uh, to them and they read through it. I think last year, though, the grand prize winner actually put together an entire magazine, which was kind of cool.
3: I can understand the sort of thing you're, you're talking about, but my skills are definitely not at that yeah. hacker level.
2: I don't see that. Like, so you have other, um, you know, capture the flag type of websites out there. Um, you know, like hack the box out of you, right? They, uh, They put up, you know, machines that are very current uh, and they have like a, you know, like a hundred percent policy, like no one is allowed to talk about it. And if you talk about it, you get permanently banned before they retire a system. So like, you don't get hints, you don't get help along the way. It's just you living off the land and doing what you can do. But when you do things like, you know, the holiday hack challenge, there's... You know, an entire community, like, it, uh, a lot of people use uh, Discord or whatever that is. And then uh, another big group of people on, you know, Central Slack or Central Sex Slack channel. And you can, you know, work with people. Hey, I'm stuck on challenge number one. I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, can anyone help out? And you get, like, ten direct messages all of a sudden with people kind of telling you what to do. But Sands is also kind of included, you know, hint, hints throughout this. Hey, this this is a good article to go read, you know. Or uh, they kind of changed their focus this year uh, from just you know reading articles articles into more of a like a conference format where uh, this year's challenge is in a 3D environment and you make a little avatar and you hop around uh, Santa's castle. <laughs> and up on the second floor, I uh, like, you know, you went to Derby Con or something, you know, there would be, they're up on the second floor, they have conference rooms up there, and you, the little man jumps in the conference room, and they got a YouTube clips up on the wall that'll start playing, you know, like they're actually at the conference. Um, and, you know, they're all, they're all pretty relevant talks, and, uh, you know, some of them kind of talk about stuff that might still be part of the challenges here, or, or not, I haven't seen it yet because I haven't finished the challenge. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, they, they try they try their best to try and, and push people towards towards you know learning something, trying to get an answer to something, and then you know they still have the challenges for you know the guys that do this stuff professionally every day. You know, uh, the challenge I'm stuck on now, I might not finish it in time to be able to submit anything, but there's just tons of people that have already finished it already, you know, because they're definitely professionals.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, again, I've got a home network set up and whatnot, but I really haven't uh, done a lot of work. For one thing, I haven't done a lot of work using the network as a network instead of just a funnel to the Internet.
2: Alright, I'll give I'll give away the answer to the first challenge here, right? So like the very first challenge that they have for you is a they don't call it a Raspberry Pi, they call it a cranberry pie, right? And they give you if you click on it and it pops open a terminal and here it says um, you need to, to exit out of VI, right? So one of the hints they give you is like to the main page of the VI editor, right? But if you've done it before, you know you know control colon you know pops you out of it. But if you've never done it, now you just learned how to exit you know control colon you know pops you out of it. But if you've never done it, now you just learned how to exit the you know vi. You know it's not all about networking. It's you know oh I mean you know some like the pcap files. I guess kind of knowing you know your different ports and stuff like that. But um, you know a vi challenge how to exit it you know that's not too too bad but if you've never seen it before now you've learned something
3: yeah i really haven't dug into vi or vim like i probably should but there's so much that i need to dig into with the linux i'm you know i'm just grinding along well i found uh, a pretty good site
2: for kind of getting the baseline of you know Getting your your terminal skills built up is uh, a challenge, and all the answers are out there uh, for it, so it's kind of easy to cheat at it. It's uh, called Over the Wire. Uh, they have a bunch of war games on there, and the one for the ter- you know for your Linux command line challenges is called Bandit. So you, they'll they'll ask you to do something, and you're like, oh well, I'm gonna search directly for this, and like all the links that pop up are you know, people's write-ups for the challenge. So it's kind of hard not to cheat yourself sometimes with it, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good resource for learning, you know, more about the Linux command line. Um, it, you know, like I, I, I go to these conferences and I see people up there using, like, tmux ups uh, in their terminal and just flying through it. And, you know, I have my cheat sheet out in front of me because I can't remember how to get back to the other, you know, terminal. <laughs> And there's even ones out there, uh, like Under the Wire, they do, uh, they're all about learning uh, your PowerShell commands, you know, like how, you know, how, like, if you wanted to read a file in the Linux command line, you can just use cat, right? Uh, Well, Windows can kind of do the same thing, but what is that command? You know, they kind of push you down the path of learning what that command, you know, that counterpart command is.
3: Uh, You are aware that there is a PowerShell, Deb. Uh, PowerShell
2: dev. Uh, I'm not sure.
3: Uh, Debian package by Microsoft for PowerShell. Of PowerShell.
2: Oh.
3: <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> just thought you might be the kind of guy who would download it for just I Well, would prob-
2: probably would. You can just install it in your current system. It'd probably be faster than booting up a VM.
3: Also, uh... Using PowerShell, and I don't know how it's implemented, whether it's implemented as a true shell, i.e., you know. Right. Or whether it is implemented as as a program that that you have a separate interpreter for. It would be interesting to see how it mixes with, you know, Bash or your name your shell here. One of the things that I think that I need to do is set up a machine that only has shell or command line access and then i would be motivated if i'm going to work on that machine to learn how to use that that environment
2: yeah that's kind of a hard way to go uh you know i kind of like living living on both sides you know you see a you know a piece of command line something or other you'd like to you know type out or you know a, a git or something that's super long, and instead of typing it all out, you know, if you're in a GUI, you copy paste it in <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier. And, uh,
3: well, I'm just saying, as a learning environment, um, uh, again, maybe it's because I'm tainted with with Windows through Windows 7 that uh, I think going setting something up just to be command line would be helpful. Though I may wait until pi day to see if a pi 4 comes out i was
2: listening to hacker public radio years ago and i think there was some some people talking about arch linux all the time and you know it got me interested in it and i said well i'm i'm gonna give this a shot so i actually tried uh installing or building arch however you want to look at it you know i'm not That was kind of a good experience to kind of get a you know kind of a foundation of like what Linux really is. You know, it's you know this makeup of all this different stuff, and then you know someone paste Linux on you know the name Linux onto it. But you know, I don't know. To make it like an everyday type of thing, you know, living on the edge like that was was pretty was pretty rough. You know, so, you know, I don't really know where, where I would go, you know, um, just a straight command line or, you know, I think, I think playing around with, uh, you know, some of these CTFs where you can, you know, SSH into a Linux box and that's your, your only interaction is that that SSH. I mean, but you can still have the web to look things up, you know, but it still kind of forces you down that path.
4: (laughs) Because,
2: you know, there was, like, a file on that remote server where you can't just browse to the directory and double-click and open it up. You're in an SSH session, so you've got to do it through the command line. You know, if, you know how can you download it off through SSH to your local machine or, you know, just read it right there on the screen? You know, that's giving you an opportunity to kind of learn those skills without... You know, suffering.
3: <laughs> well, actually, one thing that I'm been looking at, but I haven't yet fully implemented, is GNOME Boxes. I really would like to get into that because uh, having something where I can run Linux and without having to deal with VirtualBox is really go- would would really uh, make me happy.
2: Well, that's the first time I've heard of GNOME Boxes, so I'm just kind of getting started looking at it here. It says it's it. It gives you access to virtual machines, running locally or remotely. You would still need to have a VM running on your system to use
5: boxes?
2: Question mark.
3: Well, that's what boxes... You configure your, via, your VM in boxes like you would in VirtualBox, but it's Linux on Linux, and it's not... Um, you don't have to use guest editions, stuff like that. And uh, and you get a lot closer um, coordination. Boxes, as far as I understand it, uses a lot more KVM, QMU, and more Linux native um, interfaces.
2: You know, it kind of makes me wonder, because, like, so I run VMware and uh, VirtualBox. I have both of them installed on my machine and you know, the two of them, you know, they, they can play, you know, most of the time they can kind of play the same VMs, uh, if you want, but you could do run into an issue where, uh, you know, they just will not and you actually have to convert your entire VM for one type of virtualization to the other. I wonder, you know, if if you've got a whole network worth of VMware stuff already built, and try and bring it into boxes, how much of a pain that would actually be. You know. But it's interesting.
3: I'm gonna have to play around with it. Well what what I find is with VMware you've gotta convert your Linux machine to speak to VMware, which then speaks to Linux again. You know, the guest edition stuff. While boxes doesn't have that cap- uh, limitation. I mean with VirtualBox, pardon me. Um uh, You've got already built into boxes a lot of the stuff that you have to uh, build into VirtualBox and your uh, virtual machines with guest editions. Boxes sounds like great stuff, but it's uh, under-documented.
2: Well, I think we missed the, the last uh, update there, didn't we? Missed uh, the last hour mark.
3: Oops.
4: Ah, can people hear me? Testing, that did light up. Can anyone actually hear me?
3: I have a serious question about Mumble. Does anyone know how to increase the font size?
4: I can hear other people, but can you hear me? I can hear you. Right, so this is working then. That's good. Also, am I clear or not? Because it's a new headset. Very clear. Really? I always had before that. It was never clear, but this one hopefully is.
3: One of these days I've got to look for a good headset-mic combo.
4: This was a cheap headset, but um, I guess it's good enough. So I've finally gone this, uh, and missed most of it, but never mind. Has uh, there uh, any interesting chats been happening? We've
3: been covering a variety of topics, from 3D printing, through Mastodon, through Hacker Challenges, uh whole bunch of
4: things. Yeah, and I'm the only one here in 2019, I believe, at the moment, who's on this for, not done this since last time, actually. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice being on a podcast again, although wearing a headset does feel a bit odd when you haven't done it for ages. Well, I didn't actually have a headset last time because of issues. Phone and uh, headphones. What was that? And it's gone quiet again. Yeah. Why is that?
6: I have no idea. I just know that I was over here playing a game and we stopped playing it.
4: Oh, you're playing a game on your end. Well,
6: lots of games, but this last one that we were just playing was called Mission Red Planet.
4: Is that a uh, Windows game? <laughs> no, actually it's a board game. a indie board game. Oh, board games, yeah. yeah. I don't really play those anymore, but I know certain people still quite like them. How many people have been on this so far, roughly?
0: There seems to be about ten in the room at once.
4: At the most. When was that?
0: Seems
2: to say steady in and through in through the day.
4: Seems People. only seems there's only three of us here at the moment.
2: Ken was here about noon central time.
4: Yeah, I I was I had some like that. I had the uh had it going on uh, from my from my phone to uh an old stereo by the uh by a Bluetooth adapter and the aux or whatever it's called. So it actually came out quite well on like that. And you can play music like that as well, connected to the internet. So no Gordon? Gordon hasn't been on, for example? The Scottish guy? Uh, Or or Web, as I think he's called otherwise?
7: I think he was on, I can't remember what time.
4: I think I'll stay here about three hours now, unless it gets really boring or something. Because it's a bit later here.
5: It's about 10.30 my time.
4: This is much later here.
8: What kind of headset are you using?
4: Um, yeah, I, I just bought it recently. Chatmax, or whatever it was called. Um, supposed to be set up for Skype, apparently, going by the box, you know. Something, uh, standard, really. But, is it, but you said that, you, that my voice is coming out very well. Or well enough.
2: Oh, yeah, very well. It's coming out well.
4: Yeah, that's a nice change, because I've done this before, and there were. Uh, headset issue or things like that and then it doesn't come out properly and all that. So it's a nice change.
2: I'm just running with the Memorex one.
4: Okay, I've got the, the box and that here. So yeah, I'm using the, uh, I'm using the Chatmax HS-720 apparently. It's just clearer. Converse clearly with Clearly, with superior USB digital audio and all that kind of stuff that they put on these things, don't they, to advertise it? But I guess it is clearer.
5: I had a headset where the microphone and the, and the uh, headphones actually were pretty decent, but when I would move my jaw, it would make a cracking sound and it would be very distracting.
4: Yeah, I had the other headset I had before was okay, except. Uh, when they get old they start, like the fake leather starts to come off and things like that and, and not just headsets or other things like that as well, you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? I mean? Oh yeah,
3: but actually in
5: this case it was a fairly new headset it was like a Logitech from, that was just a year
4: or two old Yeah, 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 I had a Logitech one before but then the, the like fake leather started to come off it and all that and it, it's, not any, it's not very good when that happens really Twenty nineteen, the year of desktop Linux. No, that's probably not gonna happen. Uh twenty nineteen, the year of some sort of alternative mobile operating system that's Linux based taken off. Um that might happen because um I don't mean the buntu touch or any of that stuff, that's not going anywhere like that now, but I don't mean that. I don't mean sell the fish. Um, from YOLO or the former Nokia people, but I did read there was another operating system called um, Feature OS or something like that. It's also being sold on the new Nokia phones from the new company who, owns, <laughs> who own their brand. So I guess something like that could take off more as well. But but yeah, to be honest, all the phones I'm kind of interested in are, are the kind of alternative things. The Libra M, which you probably heard of somewhere, Purism. Um, the KDE phones are coming. They can't even go into the actual mobile network at the moment. And so on. I didn't really actually hear that.
8: I heard it, but you were kind of faded in and out a little bit.
4: I faded in and out? Oh, right. Um, maybe. But I was saying that, yeah, um, these alternative... Well, some of the alternative things that are coming are interesting, like the KDE phones that can't go onto a mobile network and <laughs> the Purism, the Bram, and all this kind of stuff. Um
8: Only the Purism one was the one that was pretty well advertised. I haven't heard anything about the KDE one.
4: There's kind of two KDE phones really, that's the actual, I can't remember quite now without well, <laughs> looking properly, but basically there's the, let's think, I think it's the STIM, no, the actual KDE phone. And then they can't go onto the mobile network. It's like a Wi-Fi only thing to begin with. And then there's another company, a Finnish company, also going to do one. But again, you can't go onto the mobile network on these first versions. Um But so they're bringing, but they're bringing KD to phones basically. Um, so that's interesting as well. And it said, "Why didn't you just do Purism?" And they were like, "No, they they go, they've gone with GNOME." So. Um, we're doing our separate things.
3: I've got to figure out how to use a Wi-Fi only phone.
4: Well, like, well, that's the point. I think it's because there's the actual mobile networks to connect you have to use proprietary software of some sort, and these phones are completely free software, so you can't connect. I think that's to do with it, and it's also as a kind of a first device to show that it can be done, so it's Wi-Fi only. And I think they even said a phone to them isn't necessarily going to a network and using it like that. It's to like, have a device that's mobile. But yeah, I mean, the networks are it's some sort of proprietary bit, it may make sense, because otherwise you could just come out and make your own phone pretty much and connect to a, a mobile network and then use it for free as well, which is not going to like actual mobile networks.
3: Yeah, well, about was going to go serious with Wi-Fi, I would have to go uh, get myself some private internet access.
4: What, like a VPN you mean?
3: Yes, that's actually the name of a private internet, uh, of a VPN company. Isn't that
4: the one that sponsors FreeNo as well, isn't it? I think.
3: I don't know, but it seems to be a good deal and it wouldn't take me too much to convert my network over to it.
4: Well, yeah, but I, I was, but yeah, I mean, but I do mean like mobile phones, but they're not, <laughs> they just can't be used for actual text or calls at the moment, or to begin with, because of how it's done. But it's all kind of interesting, um stuff that's on the verge of coming. Well,
3: they can't be used on the wide network. You probably could use them on Vonage or something like that.
4: Say so that again? Do you say lineage? Lonage. What's Lonage? IP phone. Oh, right. Also, I see 5150 appeared in there again. Howdy, folks. Hello. I've not spoken
0: to you for about a year, but hello. Yeah, how's everything going? Um, yeah, so it's okay. You? Can't complain. Didn't get back in as early as I thought
4: I would tonight, but... No, I, I, I've had exactly that as well. I, I mean, I haven't got on here at all until about half an hour ago and it's already
0: quite late here really but that's fine. Just... More people in the room than there were earlier this morning. Say that again? I said there's a lot more people in the room than there were earlier this morning. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, I, don't I didn't, about.
3: I didn't check my start time or I would have been out here earlier.
4: Start time for what? To get back or to get on this?
3: To get on this, uh, I was reading it backwards.
4: What do you mean reading it backwards?
3: If I... I was thinking that it was going to start evening my time instead of morning my time. I'm I'm in the Eastern Standard Time zone.
4: Yeah, well, no, that's fine. It's but I mean it's 26 hours. It's basically going to be drop in when people drop in, and then no, well, some people stay for most of it, depending on the year. But that's fine. Actually, you stayed for most of it. The other uh, about two years ago, didn't you? Fifty-one fifty.
0: I don't know if that was two or three years ago, but yeah, I was. Ex- except for when I had to go do chores, I was on nearly the whole twenty-six hours, and I wasn't. Uh, Ken can tell you I wasn't making any kind of good sense by the end. No, and I kept it very nicely in the after show a few years ago as well, well
4: or three years ago, swing.
8: Well, good evening, folks. Uh, my name here is Steve.
0: Welcome, Steve. From from America, I assume.
8: Yes, and I think. Pretty close to 5150, if I'm not mistaken. I'm
4: uh, I'm in Kansas in the United States. Yeah, you're actually his neighbor. Um, very
0: close. Fancy that, another Linux user in Kansas. He's
4: actually your neighbor.
0: Very close.
8: Yeah, I don't know if you remember. I actually met you, 5150, briefly at uh, the uh, Kansas Linux Fest a couple years ago in Wichita.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Well, uh, you know, sometimes I get... Tri- uh... Trouble keeping people I've met that often very straight, but yeah, good. Uh I'd try. Uh, been trying. Uh, there's there's another person who wanted to take the lead on it, but had an idea of maybe st- doing something next spring. I think we're running into, you know, getting too late. May- maybe for all next year, not be uh, doing another fest. But it's it's not completely. You know, cold and dead or whatever. There's a, there's a few of us that uh, would still like to see something done.
8: Yeah, for sure. I'd I'd like to see something done too. I uh, I know some of the guys that were in charge of it those two years that that it was at WSU, and I can understand that they don't want to do it every year. Um, but I'm hoping that somebody
4: does pick up the
8: pick it up and and run with it at some point.
4: Well, you're talking about conferences.
8: Yeah, uh, the Kansas Linux Fest, um, it was a, it's, uh, happened, oh, three, four years maybe total, and, uh, not a huge turnout, but, uh, you know, the last couple, the last year, it did not happen, and we're just talking, we'd like to see somebody pick it up and, and run with it again.
4: Yeah, uh, <laughs> too far for me, I can't go to that one, way too far away. But it's probably a good conference, otherwise,
0: well, that last year we had Mad Dog there, so I think, it, you know, uh, I think it was very successful. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, like Steve said, I think the, the, those guys doing it two years in a row, they just had some uh, uh, some amount of burnout, and I was hope you know, and anybody in Kansas is interested, uh, you know, if we'd all get together somehow and, you know, form a core group where it's not on, on any – You know, four or five people every year or something. You know, I'd be, I, I would certainly be interested in participating. I'm a little far from any major city to, uh, you, you think you can get everything done online, but it, it, it's a lot easier if you're, if you're there where, where the event is going to be held. But, you know, uh, definitely I want to be a part of it when we do it again.
4: Uh, yes, so we had a dog. Well, Joe had a dog. Yes, yes, I do.
9: I have a couple of them. And in-laws.
0: Oh, we've pretty much got the entire Linux Ludcast on the line right now. Yeah, I'm not sure if Honky's really
9: there. I've talked to him a couple of times, but he hasn't really responded.
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, he was on this morning, but you're right. I think he's on just more to record and maintain stuff and all that.
8: So my project lately has been uh, trying to set up a free NAS server. Anybody uh, mess with free NAS before?
4: No. in
0: yeah. a really long time. Yeah, I've got an actual uh, file server on a Pi that I use, but uh, uh, I, I've wanted to look into it. But you know, at these days, I, I, I'd go with NAS for free just because you don't have the huge memory requirement.
8: Yeah, I haven't really looked at that one. I will have to I have to say FreeNAS is pretty cool. I mean, yeah, you're right, it does have a uh, fairly large uh, memory requirement to do it right, but the interface and the the operations and the ease of use is pretty slick. They've they've done a pretty good job. So,
4: uh what um interfaces and distros are being used here at the moment?
8: You asking about FreeNAS or just in general?
4: No, I'm in, a, I'm in a different topic. I'm in like Linux distros and interfaces. Gotcha. Uh,
8: well, I'm a long-time Slackware user, and on servers, I run I run about eighty Slackware servers. But uh, for desktops, I've kind of gravitated toward the Zubuntu, uh which is Ubuntu with the XFCE desktop. That's my personal favorites.
4: Yeah, why for Ubuntu or XFCE?
8: well I first got introduced to xfce on slackware actually because I was running slackware on a on a desktop and that's what it comes with well it comes with KDE but it also comes with uh, xfce and I just really learned to like it I don't know exactly why but I did and uh, so when I switched over to the Ubuntu line I just stuck with it and uh, it does what I want and I'm kind of a Kind of a minimalist user in a way, or utility user. Not terribly much into the flashy stuff, so um, that's why I choose it.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people go, "Oh, yeah, you should use XCE and I've I've never really. Every time I've tried it out since two thousand and four, it's never quite cut it. But then again, you get used to GNOME too, because it's like Fedora had GNOME too, and and Ubuntu by Gnome 2 as the following, but obviously Marte more recently and all that. And then you've got Gnome 3, which I did like, Gnome Shell, Um, but you can probably guess from the name I've decided to put on temporarily at least uh, what I'm running at the moment, um, because it says Unity 7 in that, Um, but I personally think that yeah, if you're going to run Ubuntu, even though this got dropped and the whole well, the phone stuff's constant now, on top of that, Unity 8. But I just felt like when that came out, I mean, they got a lot of flack for it and everything, but they were actually trying to do some innovation here, and the consumer innovation, trying to get, like, usual people to use it, and I think they were on something there. And it was better than the old Gnome 2 patching they used to do. And now I feel like if you're going to run gnome Shell... You might as well just do it in some other distro because you know there's plenty of other distros that um, run GNOME Shell and you could debate better even. So I don't. So yeah, I, I'm kind of living in the past if I'm running UT7 because it's been dropped. But I am currently because a bit like you, it does actually work. It's quite easy to use. You have got your icons there. It's you know it's quite easy to actually get things done whilst you're running it, where something like Gloom Free Gloom Shell is nice and good, but it's also more flashy, which can get a bit annoying sometimes, depending on what you're doing.
8: Yeah, yeah I, I never actually ran Unity. I, I thought I should probably try it sometime and just see what it's like, but uh, so I really don't have any opinion on it, but uh, I was used to the XFCE, so I gravitated towards that. and. I'm not the type of guy that goes looking for a lot of changes. If I can get it to do what I want it to do, then I'm usually happy. So that's how i how I kind of roll.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I'm like as well, generally speaking. Yeah, one good false ass up. Oh, and of course the other thing with Unity was that it was tied to Ubuntu because of how it was made. Basically, they tried to port it to the door and open SUSE, but there was some technical issues. Um, and then the Unity 8 interface was never good enough on the desktop quite. It was getting there. It was progress, but then it got dropped. On the uh, phone and tablets, now under UB ports, though, what's left of that in the community? I mean, that's very good. That works really well, I'd say. Um, when I have got some of those devices myself, um, well, <laughs> I've got, a, let's say, a broken tablet because of some uh, issue being dropped, and then someone's going to fix it. And it came back in an even worse state, and I've got two of the phones. Um and the other one is KDE. Um I, I, I don't, I've never, I've got involved with a distro that a lot of people use KDE by default as well, but I never really liked KDE. It was always very bloated. It, um it, I mean, it's like, it looks like Windows uh, as well, but, well, you can go beyond that. And really, Microsoft did copy certain features off KDE. There's an old video, window, uh, someone on YouTube, I assume still, Australian Mole with, it, this is Windows 7, they say to people, it's actually KDE 4. And, but yeah, it's great. We have all this choice of interfaces and even file managers and terminals and all kinds of things.
8: Yeah, kind of like you, I I tried KDE long long time ago and I wasn't overly impressed then, but my understanding is it's changed a huge amount and is a lot better than it was and so I I think it's a viable option, but I've I've just not messed with it in the in the last decade, I guess.
4: Yeah, it's well yeah, it's changed. KDE 3 was this. It lives on under the Trinity project actually, that which is good. Um KDE 4 is quite different in certain ways, and then this KDE 5, or, or it's just called, plasma now, um, is again different, but it doesn't quite cut it for me. There's just something, I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. Um, a bit like XSCE, <laughs> which you obviously like, but again, it doesn't quite cut it for me. I tried LXDE and stuff like that before, it doesn't quite do it. Um, but I guess it's kind of what you're used to, and how, how when you got introduced to something, and what you kind of um went along with, and then you sort of get your own personal preferences, and that applies to everyone. We like different things for different reasons.
0: Well, that's a great thing about uh, Linux is it's you know far more customization than is uh, to your personal taste that is uh, possible. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. That's the proprietary. Yeah, yeah. That's basically what I
4: was saying earlier. We have more. Customization choices and choices of interfaces, distros, and all kinds of things. Whereas, you, where you won't really have that with Windows or, or as much and Mac and things like that.
0: My my preference is a lighter hierarchical interface, uh, rather, rather than <coughs> say Unity or GNOME Three, where they. It, you know, they put your five most used applications at the top. I, I prefer to have stuff, you know, broken up—office, internet, games, whatever—you know, on on the main menu. Uh, and, and like I said, lights, like, things like Mate, LXQT, uh, XFC, something like that. Yeah, yeah, you mean like categories,
4: groups? Because there was a. I think an extension. No, I think Gnome Two used to do that. Or usually, you'd have like your internet group, your office group, and your and graphics and and games and all this. And I think that with the other ones, you can get extensions that would allow for that. But I I think even Gnome Three did it for a while, but then that got dropped. So I'm not sure quite. But I think I get what you mean.
0: Yeah, I
4: mean I've I've run Gnome Three. What was that? Says Gnome Three. What did you say? Well,
0: like I walked on Joe, but yeah, I, I ran GNOME 3 to try it out, and I did put in those aforementioned extensions, but it's like, you know, my, might as well start out with a lighter desktop that all it's already organized like that. Uh, you can say
4: something, Joe.
9: Oh, um, no, I don't have something on this conversation. I was going to ask Paul if he's still at the house, but he doesn't seem to be responding.
4: Did you get any, uh, interesting devices? Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say last year now, uh, referring to, well, here it is, referring to 2018. You're not, I think you're about to be in 2019. Anyway, you know what I mean. So let's say 2018, did you get any new interesting Linux-based devices or anything like this? 5150? Because I remember we had this chat before and you were like, yeah, got the, uh, GPD, got the next stock it was back then and so on.
0: Yeah, well, uh, there is, I don't have a GPD yet, but there is one, I guess, coming out in February that's going to, of course, be have less features, less power, but it's going to be $300. So I do that, have, that kind of puts, I do have GPD devices. So I've got the,
4: um, GPD XD with one of the few people who actually have it with more space, so then 128 GB instead of the 64, because they did like a crowdfund again for that. Um... I read that that's coming out with, like, a GPD XD Pro with a few changes soon as well, which is probably no point in me actually getting, but people who don't have it. That's said, like, Android's one with their customised interface and for gaming. Then I've got a GPD Win, which um, I've had Linux on there, basically. I've got a GPD Pocket, that's very nice. Yeah, I'm interested the, in the Pocket 2. The, there's a GPD Pocket 2 as well, which is slightly updated to so the GPD Pocket, slightly different hardware specs.
9: No, I'm interested in the Pocket 2 and um, because you know it's got like twice the processor of the original Pocket and they changed the layout of the keys and they changed the style of the mouse which i understand was an issue on the the first one but i'm definitely not interested in the price tag on either one
4: yeah well yeah that's the one other thing with these devices is that um I'm from the UK so I'm going to say that these devices are selling over 300 pounds which you know you could buy a laptop for that kind of money or a reasonably cheap laptop but right you know you, you could get a, a
9: the Microsoft Surface go for that price and put Linux on it but um, yeah between 500 and 700 US and that that's a little rough for a 7 inch device yeah it, it's got good stats but still
4: well, yeah, same with, say, the Libre Purism, Libre M5, which we were talking about earlier. That's coming out, but it's going to be sold for about £500, which is, <laughs> again, it's like a new laptop with that kind of money, and that would be a reasonably good spec laptop as well. Right, so, and by uh, the
9: time it comes out, it's going to have an older processor in it, and it's not going to be you know, top of the line, which is what they, the problem that they had, um Last time. Well,
4: which one? Which one? Which one?
9: Oh, uh, which one was it that came out as, um, that was listed as um, an open source uh, Linux phone?
4: Oh, the, uh, oh, that was the Ubuntu phones, and there was a Sailfish um, device. The one that was
9: uh, crowdfunded as well. Um, pure, purism? Pure?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pure... Well, yeah, yeah, that one. Okay, pure is what I was talking about. But yeah, somebody said that from my identity degree, but you said, oh, that's a rubbish phone because (laughs) the specs aren't that good, and then it's going to come out, and it'll be even older, and, and maybe the hardware specs won't be that great, but the thing is, with that one, I mean, they've released these laptops already. It's all about the, like privacy and security as well, like you've got the hardware kill switches for your webcam and all this kind of stuff built in It's that's kind of what's meant to sell it as well um,
9: Well, if it's got that um, if, if it's got a good enough interface that you can hook it up to um, a mouse and a keyboard and a screen and have it actually be a Linux system, then I might still look at it for my next well, phone or I might wait until it's a used device and, and get it then it's, but yeah
4: well, it's it's oh. having no it's yeah it's going to have an interface. So by default, it's getting GNOME free, but GNOME Shell with a few changes to make it go on the phone hardware. So that's what's coming. And then KD are doing these separate <laughs> phones as well. Two companies are going to do them, but without Wi-Fi to be uh, so without mobile networks being with that uh, only Wi-Fi for those to begin with. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's for, yeah, Librem, I mean, it's it's interesting but it's but yeah it's very pricey for what it is that's the that like, that's the one thing
0: yeah if i i would love to have one but if i could really really justify it for work uh 15 year well, 10 years ago uh well maybe 15 before i really got into linux uh i had a, a sony palm top which was the you know kind of... I looked like four-factor of a camera and you, and you had like a three or four inch LCD that you would push up and then you would, and then it would have a keyboard under where the LCD originally was and all that. And that, that was that if I was, you know, working in a school and went into a lab or something, I didn't have to say, hey kid, I need to use the computer, get off. (laughs) Not that I would have done something, but occasionally, yeah, you would, you'd go in a room and, uh, to fix something, and you know, every workstation would be occupied, and you'd have to reschedule or whatever, you know, go do something else. So it would that would that was nice that I could just uh, get on the network and and do my work any any place. And uh, I, I think that thing was like fourteen hundred dollars or some ridiculous amount uh, when I bought it. And I just time, yeah, that's you know, it's something I'm going to uh, use all the time in work uh but you know the gpd you know i want something with the form factor of the gpd that i can just put in a pocket on a pair of cargo pants and just carry, carry it around every everywhere but uh you know even the five, 600 dollar ones unless like for a toy to get out and say hey look is it, it isn't this pretty. That's, that's too much. And I, right. I say, I'm thinking officially it's got to come down. Well, right. right. so, go on.
4: Right. So yeah, the, I mean, the GPD, uh, pocket has a nice keyboard. It's quite small. It's seven inch devices in the GPD pocket too. Um, and I, can't, I can't remember unless I look for it now because my mind's gone blank, but, um, basically the PDA came back as well recently. um, and I saw one of these, and it's like, okay, cool. And it's, because it you could run a tailfish on it, you can run an- Android on it, and you can run, I believe, some sort of Linux on it, an actual Linux distro. And, it, yeah, Gmini PDA or something like that was called. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that'll be it. Um And that's, can like, you, even can smaller. Can
9: um, post that in the chat?
4: I'll have to look for a link, but um Gemini PDA or something like that. Yeah, I'll look for a link. I, I saw one of these, and that's like even smaller than the G, GPD Win stuff and all that. But oh, it,
9: I know the one you're talking about. I, I okay, yeah, the Gemini.
4: Yeah, 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 that'll be it, right? Gemini. Yeah, Gemini PDA. That sounds right. And it was yeah, quite, I know, That saw- no, was a nice little device as well. I, I only, you know, I got to see one as a, like a demo device, and
0: yeah. Well, I saw one, uh, advertised the other day. The thing is, it's one of these ads, and this is something Facebook ought to pay for more even than the privacy, is selling ad space to people who just take, take the whole ad from somebody else, pay, cut and paste, and then the pro, I looked online on, on Google because I knew the price was way too good to be true. The price was like sixty bucks for this thing. You know, if I get it for sixty bucks I'd buy five, but uh you know, uh but uh look, looked it up, yeah, the, the 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 price was I think over six hundred, five, six hundred bucks easy. So uh put put that up to one of one of the uh uh you know, completely scam ads. They're going going around Facebook just trying to get your credit card number. Facebook advertising. Um, so
4: I mean, I, I guess we all probably <laughs> respond to some of those ads adverts here and there. But I, uh, there was something that popped up yesterday morning or night that uh, was got me onto something that was like a. <laughs> an online seminar about something and that was kind of interesting. And also I've been doing events, small events, uh well, here, um, so European idea really, called uh Linux Presentation Day. And the idea is you went to do these events twice a year and get the general public in to show them Linux and get them using Linux. Nice idea, except actually getting sort of usual enough people in is very difficult. But I had to go at Facebook advertising for the last all of those, and um, I mean it failed one of those times, like, no one came in from it, but it did bring in a few people, but the only downfall is you, you, you know, it comes out to like full five thousand people from sort of your area and further away, but it's not quite, it doesn't quite it doesn't bring, bring enough bring people enough in for the money. money. Or it needs to be it set up be to, to, to target. target, and my headset's I gone weird, weird, I think.
0: weird I think. <laughs> No, it's Vinnit. Uh, it's Vinit. it's Yeah, Vinnit, you, you need to switch to push to talk, Vinnit. Well, I, I wasn't push I to talk.
8: Hey, everyone, this is Claudio M. Uh, just wishing you a very Happy New Year. Just struck 12 over here in Miami. Happy New Year, everybody.
4: Happy New Year. Uh, Happy, Happy New Year, New Year sir. Uh, Happy New Year, since it's uh, 5 a.m. Hell, <laughs> just after, actually.
3: Happy New Year.
4: Happy New Year, Mexico. It's
3: still
9: like 10 o'clock
3: here.
8: Yeah, it's, well, it's 12.04 right now, so we we just got done talking with a with family members and everything, so I figured I'd join, jump in and uh, wish everybody a Happy New Year here from Miami, Florida. Anyway, wishing everybody else a Happy New Year once you get there. <laughs> see, you, see you in 2019. Good night, guys. Catch you in the morning.
4: All right, night, no, yeah. Happy New Year. Well, I guess my headset's okay now. It doesn't happen there, then. No, it wasn't you. No, it wasn't actually me. Okay.
9: It, it was venant. Um, I guess not using a headset. because too close to the mic or something. But it seems to be corrected now.
4: Always so saying that PDA device was nice, and then <laughs> and then it's like, oh, so that's another device that can sell fish on it. Oh, that could be interesting. Oh, but it's another five hundred pounds device or something. But that's that's the one downfall with this right, interest, right. It's isn't still... it? The one downfall with this kind of yeah, interest. it's a six hundred
9: dollar device with less of a processor than the, um, GPDs. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a slightly nicer, smaller form factor, but I, I think I'd still rather, if I were going to spend that kind of money, go with the, the GPD.
4: Nupd Pocket and Pocket 2 is a bit bigger, but yeah. that's, that's good anyway. It's good, it's quite small. And plus you can plug in a normal USB keyboard and mouse if you want to do that, you know, it's like, not sure you can do that with the other one. Uh, the
9: Gemini, it has two USB, um, C slots, so you should uh, be able to get an adapter and then hook up a yeah. USB.
4: Keyboard. <laughs> I like, how, I like how you say adapter now, because yeah, this USB-C stuff, I mean, uh, you know the only devices I have that require USB-C are quite simply the GPD Pocket and the I think the GPD Win as well and maybe the XD right and everything else is USB you know two or whatever the standard you know real well, right. stuff and it's just really annoying because I was doing this event and it's like oh I need to get that charged up uh, where's my cable gone for charging I- I'm going to have to buy a new cable right I to buy a new- no, I was buying it there and now from a shop, so it costed. A no, yeah,
9: but if nobody has a USB-C charger, then you need the specific USB-B to usb C.
4: I don't know about the charger quite. It seems to go in a
0: normal charger. You just plug, change the cable. Right. Well, uh, the one saving factor of the Gemini is it can be used as a phone. But I don't, you know, I've no interest in a six hundred dollar phone either. No. Although, although, although on the subject of USB-C, why have they done that? What
4: was wrong with the old? You know the old standard one that most of these devices have. Why have they updated it?
9: I think it was to save space because this this is a, this Gemini is a very thin-looking device.
4: You yeah, know, USB uh, C is small though. Saying the cable where the cable goes in. Yes. So other than that, there's not much difference between the two really.
3: Well, U- USB C uh, can do video. It can. It's all singing, speeds. all dancing. It's all singing, all dancing. Well,
9: there are different types of USB-C, so depending on the type that it is, it's between like, um uh, f- what, 5 Mbps all the way up to like 40 Mbps?
4: Yes, you, hang on a minute. Yes, U-U-E-L-U, you, you really, whatever you're called. There's a 3-node HPL, Oldcast Plants. And I, I assume you heard that. I
0: yeah, thank you. I was gonna, I was gonna say, give him that exact same message.
4: And you can, and you've done text now, that should work,
0: yeah. But yeah, this
4: USB C I mean it just feels like they've kind of updated for the sake of updating, generally speaking. But maybe you you can do video and sound like you somebody just said, but you know, you know what I mean?
8: Yeah, as I understand it, USB C can do a whole lot more and the whole idea is to integrate video networking, serial Everything onto one bus type thing. I, I don't know a lot of the details, but it, it's got some pretty cool features. the The question is, is how well is it utilized, and how well are all of those features supported on all the devices? And I think we got a ways to go for that
4: to happen. Well, so it's going to be like the BIOS in the, the old PC apparently, which, bit of a different subject, kind of, but like, there was no standard, they said, and then they came out with all this yeah, UFI <laughs> nonsense, which, uh, uh, yeah, I had some right issues with this laptop but, uh, about a year ago, but I found the ideal kernel parameter workaround to get things working. Although, like a standard, like if there's no standard, all the devices, things aren't going to be supported exactly the same, that's what I meant.
3: UEFI,
9: when it came out, kind of <clears throat> felt like a direct attack on open-source operating systems.
4: Well, like apparently, when there's no keys, yeah. Or at first, or, yeah.
9: Yeah, at first, you know, you couldn't get keys for... to be able to get it to run.
5: Well, I thought everybody got keys relatively quickly. I thought, like, um, Ubuntu and um, Red Hat bought keys, or got keys right off the bat, and everybody just used those. It was a lot of, like... When it was when it was more speculative, um, the UEFI stuff was more speculative. I thought it was right. more of like the great fear of they're trying to you know keep us out.
9: That's yeah, what it felt like. It didn't end up that way, but
0: well, and then there there was the uh, you know I think early last year, the, I don't know if it was Microsoft or Intel made the change. You know somebody, somebody had said that no, we we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna install our software. Uh, I think mean, it's actually Microsoft said that, that you know you, you can't it, if you make your computer so that you have to have a UEFI key then we, you know we won't sell you Windows or something. I don't know if that it was them or maybe it was Intel, and I think that was rescinded. So there is the possibility now of a machine being built that you know only only runs the operating system that it came with. Yeah,
4: I think Microsoft wanted to do that with some of the, their laptops or tablets as um, as well or, or originally and then that kind of changed a bit.
8: Yeah, that just came out just a couple months ago. I think I heard that, but I don't really know what the status of it is now.
4: Playing with UFI. I mean, yeah, okay, school boot, disabled Linux distro booting, all this. But here's a story, very true story. That was very frustrating, uh, it's quick, uh, <laughs> I'll say it reasonably quickly, I suppose, but, um, so yeah, I, I had my laptop here, which i on mm-hmm. at the moment, and the motherboard failed. I mean, this HP laptop had problems from day one. It would overheat. There would be an error in windows, things overheating. I rang them up waste of time and then it lasted about a year or or nearly two years and then motherboard failed had somebody look at it couldn't fix it somebody else couldn't really do it so i got it sent off to their partner company to get the motherboard replaced and i had to pay like 213 pounds to do that which was annoying somebody said due to consumer rights law they your laptop's worth £500, it should have worked for five years, but I didn't play it, do push for that enough or whatever, so I had to pay. And it came back, and of course Windows lowers up and all that, so they think it's fixed. And so here I am, uh, 2017, uh, say, what we call Boxing Day here, I don't know if you do that in America, the day after Christmas. No, and we don't like, do it, but. Um, yeah, the day after Christmas day we call Boxing Day in the UK, so 26th of December. And I'm like thinking, right, I've done all the Windows updating, I've updated Windows, I've done all the reboots of my upgrading back to Windows 10, all this, you know. I'm on the Linux stage, woohoo! And so I got my USB stick for Ubuntu or something, and I put it into the machine, and it doesn't load up at first What loads up but then it black screens when I load up a Linux kernel, try to load up the live session, try a different USB stick, same problem. Try a few. All, with all this black screening. Um I make look at the UEFI BIOS and I basically can't beat my Linux distros up. And so in the meantime I had to use Windows because I mean Windows worked. So, you know, and I went to my Linux user group. Can somebody look at this? Can can you um, you know, no one could really do anything as such, and then eventually this guy was like, How about trying ACPI equals off as a kernel parameter? And that loaded it up, but then I, the Wi Fi it turns out isn't working and the it can't suspend and things like this. And he says probably a problem with the Wi Fi not having a driver. I tried a driver, no, it should be on there. And I looked around Google myself um, a, a, a few weeks later. And I found another kernel parameter, like on the Ubuntu form. Somebody was like, I had this problem. I got a black screen and it basically said, ACPI underscore OSI equals. And I put that in there with my, in my kernel parameter in the grub. And then it was like magic. It's like magic. It loads up the Wi-Fi works, the spam works, all of this. But it's kind of interesting because you've got to be like sort of honest with the computer or honest enough. Because if you put, if you have nothing, it means nothing. There's an operating system on here, I can't tell you what it is. So load it up. We can maybe try with Windows or Linux on the on the end of that and it might work or might not work. But I was talking about how that's like being honest with the computer at the same time, so that was interesting. But, yeah, all this because of some silly UFI and my motherboard being replaced. It's going to be the same motherboard, but I guess updated. it slightly We would updated the BIOS. Same problem. I had a BIOS bug or something in the UFI, and I still do, really, but I have a workaround for it. So, yeah, my demo is working.
9: Right. right. No, I I had the ACPI off issue until very recently, and it had to do with um, Ubuntu kernel updates that made my particular motherboard go from working perfectly with suspend and resume and uh, I could monitor the battery and all of that. <clears throat> it just wouldn't load. And I had to use ACPI equals off and all of that functionality went away. And then like with the most recent kernel update, I've been able to remove that from my grub parameters and everything started working again. So Every now and then, you might want to go in and manually delete the ACBI parameters there and yeah. um, load up and see if it works. And then if it doesn't, just load up again. And, you know, don't permanently change it until the fix is actually in.
4: Well, well, yeah, I mean, like... My CPI equals off was, like, what this guy found from my Linux group, and that, so he, I, I, like I said, I tried that, but then my wireless wouldn't work, and my suspends not working, and, and things like this, but with the other kernel parameter that came up, it was like the magic workaround, it really was. Like, ACPI underscore OSI operating system information equals, I assume that stands for. And then I put that in. No, I don't tell it what operating system's on, on it. I just put that in and it all works. The wifi works. It's like magic. But it's still some sort of workaround for some sort of problem that is still on, that I still have really. But. At least I got Wi-Fi working and suspend, and and I'm still actually typing in to grab myself because I just can't be bothered to go and edit the config file. But uh, <laughs> I mean, but I, I now I can actually well, edit the config file if uh, I want to. Just every
9: now and again, start it up without it and see if it works.
4: But maybe a new kernel or something would fix it. Yeah, right. But eventually, <laughs> but, it, but no, if it's true. a problem, with, although if it's a problem with the actual BIOS, the firmware, then. I guess that's it, really, isn't it? If there's a bug, they're not going to fix, it, are they, or anytime soon? Well, there's a BIOS update for it. We updated the BIOS, and I still had the same problems. So, to the latest BIOS, and the actually, my other issue as well was because I'd put Windows 10 on or updated the 8.1 back to Windows 10, I couldn't actually downgrade back far enough to the original, say, 2015 BIOS, because. That would only go back uh, so far on Windows 10 and 3rd on 8.1. Well, that might have helped if I could have downgraded far enough with the BIOS. But I couldn't do that, so yeah.
9: what well, on, Joe. Not much. Just, you know, hanging out with the in-laws.
4: I have a, a couple of
3: UEFI machines. Is there any which which I run I don't know... as I don't knowingly run them in UEFI UE, mode.
4: Is there... Where is the benefit for UEFI. That's exactly it. (laughs) There there basically is no benefit as a Linux user, because like, for example, let's just take the classic uh, to boot your USB stick up. I believe you can do it possibly without doing this now, but you'd have to disable secure boot, so you're basically disabling one of the main features of UEFI which is meant to stop the USB sticks loading up because of security anyway, and I think there generally is no benefit as a Linux user with UFI, <laughs> quite quite simply, unless somebody knows otherwise, but it mostly just causes problems for people who are running Linux or can do.
3: Well also I think there may be more benefit if you're running
4: one... win- win- Windows. Yeah, yeah. Windows no, if or... you if you're
3: running if you're running very, very large disks. What, such as what? Uh, several terabytes per, per, uh, device.
4: Why would you, if I give you a benefit?
3: Well, it allows you to slice the, slice the disk without going to, uh, extended
4: partitioning. Does it? I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> possibly, yeah. No.
9: You're talking okay. Now that did come out at roughly the same time as UEFI, where the BIOS is allowed for larger disks to be uh, used as boot disks. But it was really two separate things that were going on at the
4: same time.
3: So I'm um, so it's the GPT partition table that I'm actually thinking of.
4: No, that yeah that so, yeah the GPT partitions, right? Yeah, that's to do with UEFI as well because of how it's. Like, uh, set up, so you, yeah, you need like a GPD partition table, that's right. And then you have to sort of tell it to the distro to like, use a GP, uh, the UFI partition to boot and things like that normally as well. Okay,
3: it's the GPT partition table that allows you to slice your 4, four terabyte disk into, you know, uh, DVD-sized chunks if you want.
4: Like, yeah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> I don't know about that. And then I was going to quickly say, and then also with UFI, because kind of how it's done again, you, you basically have a different version of Grub, um, and then you have a different, from the, the old version, that will be for the BIOS. I know that from, Linux you know,
7: Found an interesting thing from Oracle of all places. Notes on the Sunblade X32B administration guide. UEFI allows you to boot Hard drive partitions larger than 2 terabytes. Support for more than 4 partitions on a drive. Fast booting. Supposedly efficient power and system management. And better reliability and fault management.
4: Right, so maybe useful cool, for yeah. servers or something like that, but for average people uh, and Linux users or whatever, probably not so much.
7: Yeah, I don't have a 2 terabyte boot partition.
4: No, I think most people don't somehow. I don't know, storage is getting pretty cheap. Storage? Yeah, yeah, SSD storage as well.
5: Odd side note, what is Boxing Day?
4: Say that again? Boxing, Boxing Day? Boxing Day. What is it? Yeah. I said that earlier. Did you, did you miss that, or did you hear me?
5: About what Boxing Day is? I heard that you celebrate it. I didn't hear what it was.
4: Well, it's... <laughs> celebrate? Well, not exactly. I mean, Well, kind of, I guess. Um, it's It's basically... Um, yeah, you have like the Boxing Day sales as well, like Christmas Day has been, so now they want to sell out, um, they, you know, they want to sell <laughs> stuff again, the sale, old uh, Christmas stock possibly, um, and it, uh, but it is a bank holiday, so yeah, people get that day off work as well.
3: Actually, since I looked this up, uh, just last week, uh, Boxing Day. Was the holiday for those people in service or service industries who worked on Christmas?
4: It might have been in the past, but now it's like it's basically a day off for everybody. It's bank holiday, and it's about selling some of the old Christmas stock possibly as well. Although a lot, of certain shops will still be closed.
3: Well, it basically gives gives the uh, Commonwealth people who celebrate it another Black Friday.
4: Yeah, well, kind of, yeah. And then also, well, like, when I, you have, like, the Boxing Day Walk, when I grew up and stuff, uh, as a kid, you know, uh, like, that, I think that's a possible tradition. You would go off for, like, a walk on Boxing Day with, with a group of people or something, or at least we, that you, we've done that. Um, I say possibly, so, it varies a bit.
3: Well, so I can see that being useful. People who have been home with their families over the Christmas Day holiday, can get together with their friends and not intrude on the family celebration.
4: Yeah, something like something like that I guess. I mean it's it's not really celebrated properly, <laughs> but it is like a day off, so yeah, people get that off work and stuff. Um and to be honest there uh, are <laughs> very few this uh, bank holidays in England as they called it. Like days off like that. Um and I was reading that somewhere the other day. It's like Christmas Day, yeah. That everyone gets the off show pretty much Boxing Day and I think Easter that's about it really and one or two others oh and two in August as well when I'm um, yeah when and and then normally on the Monday. Disney's as well.
7: live YouTube's going off. What is it? Oh, maybe the pre-show.
4: And people, and people get New Year's Day off as well. Most people. Basically, it sounds like Boxing Day
8: is a little bit the same concept as Labor Day in the U.S.
4: Possibly, I don't really know much about Labor Day, but yeah, possibly. Well, I mean,
8: Labor Labor Day is in in September, but it's a it's a day off for for businesses and that kind of thing. It's not celebrating some event or whatever, and that's what it sounds like. Boxing Day sort of is.
4: Also, also, there's no well, like oh, I'm vegetarian anyway, but that's not the point. Um, there's no like in America, you, have, you know, Thanksgiving, the turkey, and all this, right? But in England and the UK there there is no Thanksgiving. You don't have, we don't have Thanksgiving but we do have turkey at Christmas and the stuffing and things like that. And also you got your Fourth of July, which was to I'm half Swedish anyway, so whatever I can say this. And to get free from the British. Fourth of July. Uh we don't have that obviously, but we have our bonfire night, the celebration which is the fifth of November. That's a good good one, actually. Fireworks and, well, an excuse for fireworks. Um, so, yeah.
3: Well, don't you have a Guy
4: Fawkes Day? But Guy Fawkes Day, yeah. Is that what you meant? Pardon my pronunciation,
3: I'm speaking American.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy Fawkes, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's Bonfire Night, ball, the 5th of November, Guy Fawkes, yeah. What is that yeah, supposed so, to celebrate?
3: Sorry. So, we're farming Power Limit with a barge load of gunpowder. There you go. It didn't come off, but uh the British are celebrating somebody who who gave it a darn good try uh
4: well it's uh it is what it is and it's i mean it's happened in i think sixteen zero zero something without even looking it up on Google or whatever you know like four centuries ago but it's basically been an excuse to have a bonfire ever since. And then, more recently, fireworks and sparklers, and for the kids and things like this as well.
3: Well, actually, uh, just like San Francisco is waiting for the quake, England is waiting for the mouth of the Thames to erupt. It will make Guy Fox very happy. There is a shipload of uh, World War Two ordnance marking the mouth of the Thames.
7: So they've just been steering around it all this time?
3: Yes, because nobody wants to bell that cat. Now, also, during the war, they stored a bunch of ordnance in some slate mines. Some bright chap had problems removing a fuse from one of the bombs, so he decided to tap on it with a brass drift. There was an eruption which was the largest non-nuclear explosion. In the United
4: Kingdom, on well, the subject of London something that really does annoy me usually um and i I mean I just watched a film called uh Mortal Engines actually that was in the cinema, which was uh a failed blockbuster they're going to lose money on this film a lot of money, but I thought it was based on a book it was quite a good film I thought for what it was but okay, fine, it was actually London, the city that's moving around this film but but does this But like you watch a film or TV show and you've got like the British and they basically have this sort of like, like posh London accent or, or or it's always the same, like stereotypes and the, could be the let's have a cup of tea thing and even, and it's just really annoying sometimes because, you know, a lot of people don't sound like that actually who are from the UK and yeah, and yeah, it's just annoying. It's a lot of stereotypes and stuff.
3: Yes, well, I live in New England. And between
4: Boston,
3: Boston, and the people in Maine, where I have roots, you know, there's a lot of stereotypical stuff up here.
7: Well, I'm from Texas, and I like beef, and I like Tex-Mex.
4: Yeah, you, you are the stereotype. Wait, oh, wait, New England, is that? Is A lot of people from England came there? Is that why it's called New England?
3: Yes. That's why I live, why we, we have Boston from Bolivston in England. And, uh, well, there's a Cambridge over here. And yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, like
4: yeah, that. yeah, 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 I know that. Some of the names are, are both in the UK and in America. And then we've got the uh, Texas cowboy, yeah?
7: And they like building tunnels in both places.
4: Well, we,
3: we don't. Well, we're we're they- we don't Wait. particularly like it. It's just the only way to get around if you're not going to lift the city up. If you've got to, got to put a road network or a subway network, you have to turn. come on.
4: Oh, like... say... there you go.
7: Both places tunnels are required.
4: How about that? I, I was gonna I was, <laughs> gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say something like tunnels were Mexico, but
0: then I thought that's the wrong state, isn't it? Everybody liked the big dig. Well, I guess Elon's gonna come along and fix all the cities for us.
7: I don't know how's that going to affect all the fracking.
3: Actually. Uh... There was some grandiose plans to make to give London a, a series of ring roads, which I believe the M25
4: was the only survivor. M25, that's um, yeah, that's uh, an absolutely amazing, awesome road. In uh, when it's very, very busy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. Uh, for
3: those in in the northeast, did. The M25 is basically 128, uh, with half the lanes.
4: The M25 is just an awful motorway when it's busy. <laughs> um, but, you know, That's about all you can say about it. But I don't live near there, so I don't need, I really, I don't need to go on that road, usually.
3: What I'm fascinated by is, uh, is first, uh, the fact that they're building new canals, and... Uh, We talk about terrible public transportation, but uh, the good doctor in the 60s did his best to decapitate the British Rail Network, and he did a fairly good job.
4: The thing with the railway network in in England and, well, I suppose the whole of the UK, really, or the the main bits, Wales, England, and Scotland, I guess, as well, but definitely England, there's a few things here. One... um, the trains are known to be delayed or late compared to say the mainland of Europe where they're known to be on time a lot. That's one that's one point. Two, the prices are going up like crazy each year, like they just up the prices twice last year or three times, maybe four times, and people are not happy because the service on these trains is not that great. Even in first class it's not particularly you know, it's not that great. Um, and then railway the lines themselves aren't maintained that well. And when I'm saying that, a lot of lines are actually closed and from the past and still are when it could be open. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just not particularly good. Um, well, for what you actually get for your money. And then they say, "Oh, but we're going to change the lines, and we need to get money for that." No, but luckily, again, I don't have to go on a train to work every morning, whereas pretty much every morning, whereas a lot of people do, so <laughs> I don't have that problem. I can I get that's... on the train about once a year, and that's it for a, a, a Linux uh, event, probably.
3: Well, I've studied the British rails, and it was an interesting situation. They privatized the thing, yet the privatized rail system is still heavily subsidised.
4: No, oh yes, it's we supposed to go under government control, but. They haven't, it's not quite happened. There's companies who are still uh, responsible and, and all that as well.
3: Well, you see, there there are no companies that are responsible all the way up. You have Network Rail, which allegedly owns the rail uh, infrastructure. The people running the trains are a myriad of other companies and trying to coordinate between these companies and everybody getting their slice of of the fair and everything is, uh, is amazingly, well, bureaucratic. They were showing one place where they put back a, a connection on a, on a certain route so that you wouldn't have to go to, you use, when they improved the route, they, they cut a, basically a Y and you would have to go, uh, basically to, to an intermediate city and then change trains. And they said, "Well, by putting this this leg of the Y back, they would uh, resolve that problem." Well, they put the track back, but in order to get trains scheduled back on it, it would take several
4: months. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> that it would take a lot. Uh, yeah, the work would be a lot of time and money, and and they wouldn't be ready by. <laughs> By a certain time, to originally, Sarah, and all of this. And also, we had to, there was an idea to have the HT20, I think it was called. Like a really high, high, fast speed train between, uh, Birmingham and London, I think it was, yeah. And I believe that that recently got scrapped as well, the whole idea. And, and yeah. It's one that we're going on in the, about in the news a lot at times before. There's massive electrification. Projects
3: going on too. Oh,
4: uh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that's a good point. So a lot of the lines are not actually electric yet. They were doing the lines around here recently or part of them, electrifying them. So yeah, there's that as well.
3: And then you have, uh, Crossrail, which is extending, effectively extending the continental rail network through Britain. Which one? Crossrail. What's Crossrail? It is extending the channel through London.
4: Which tunnel?
3: Channel, channel,
4: tunnel, channel. Oh, channel, C H so that... C H U N N E L. That's what I thought you said, or something like that. Yeah.
0: The tunnel under the channel.
4: Yes. Uh, uh, oh, 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 right. You're worse. Right, the, the Channel Tunnel. Uh, I'm not sure about that. And the the, the other thing with that. <laughs> I mean, you've got to bear in mind that, uh, I don't know if you follow British politics or law, you probably didn't get much for it on your news and facts, whereas we get a lot of the Donald Trump stuff over here. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm sure you've heard of this little thing called, not a little, but like a big thing called uh, Brexit, which is about to happen, <laughs> or in some form or probably, and it's an absolute mess. There's a deal and they can't agree on it. And the European uh, Commission want this, and then the MPC can't agree on it. It's an absolute mess. And if yes, and, yes, and I, I assume the Channel I, Tunnel will get affected as well. You know, soon enough. Well, well, yes.
3: For one thing, where are they going to put the customs stations?
4: Well, 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 yeah, I suppose, yeah. And the border control and and all the rest of it, yeah.
3: Also, England is leaving the EU. I have, I have not heard whether Scotland and Wales have uh, have signed on.
4: No, the thing is, the thing is, right, the UK is leaving the EU because the is a joint, you know, it's joined together. So that's, that's England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. It's all joined together as a UK, which means the UK is leaving the EU. A lot of the people in Scotland, most of the people in Scotland voted remain, but regardless of that, they (laughs) basically have to leave the EU as well because they are part of the UK. And so, yeah, so there's and that's the problem with Northern Ireland as well because there's a border there with, with the actual island, which is in the EU and all that. And then on top of that we have a little place called which you might have heard of called uh, Gibraltar, which is I've been there. It's a rock and it's on by the sea and it's it's kind of in Spain really, but they want to be British, so <laughs> there so there's slight problems there, but it's mostly the Irish issue.
3: Well, anywhere where you have a road across the airport is a is a problem. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah Gibraltar, yeah, yeah, that's true. You go in through yeah, yeah, it's true. The road goes through the the runway, I remember that. But both Scotland and Wales
3: have their own legislature, don't they?
4: They do, but they do to an extent, but then you have the like overall UK government who who say like this is how it is. We are overall all in charge. Yes, you have your first minister of Scotland and your Welsh First Minister and all this, but you have like an overall UK law who says No, this is how it is. And also, actually, okay. a lot of the people in Scotland, like I said, voted Remain, but actually a lot of the Welsh, despite having a lot of European funding for certain things over there from the the EU, actually voted Leave. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of those Welsh voted Leave. Most of the Welsh voted Leave, it seems.
3: Well, what I'm saying is, you have uh, once... Britain makes an exit, uh, the Scottish may say, well, we liked the deal before, and we would like to have some self-determination.
4: The thing with the Scottish is, they had a referendum in 2014 for this, Do you want to leave the UK, and it was like, "No, we'll stay in the UK, and... They can't just have another referendum because the, the Theresa May in this case, whoever's Prime Minister of the UK, has to basically agree for, for Scotland to have another referendum to go independent. But, but people know that if you allow that to happen now, there's a very good chance that Scotland would be like, yeah, we're leaving the UK. And if they got to leave the UK on top of that, they could potentially join the EU as a new country, <laughs> but it's an absolute mess. This thing. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that the, you you you'd
3: have what what Canada had back in the uh, the uh, you know independent Mont- Quebec days. What was that? What
4: did Canada have?
3: The French-speaking Canadians would like to have seceded from Canada.
4: Oh, to make it separate. yeah.
6: They should do the same
3: thing that they're doing with
6: uh, Brexit. Make them, if the- <laughs> they're going to have a second referendum on
4: it. There, there, there has been sort of talk about how that could maybe happen or there's a way to sort of undo it. <laughs> maybe even without having to ask the EU properly, but, it, it, but it's not very likely. And I think something will, no, I think this is going to happen in some form regardless. Plus, if there was a second referendum, most pe- more people are educated now about what, what might may happen than they were originally. So it would probably be a Remain vote winning overall. And, and they well, have to push for a leave anyway in the Conservative Party. That's an absolute mess. I
6: think actually, the fundamental question... Actually,
3: oh, sorry. Actually, what uh, the Scottish can do without leaving Britain is invent Hong Kong.
4: Invade Hong Kong is that what you said? Invent Hong Kong. I, I think. How it's, Hong Kong was not a. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's
3: it's it's a special economic district. You do not have to have the entire Scotland to go up, go EU. Just have somebody decide that a certain county or counties are in a special economic district that uh, that would like to. Interface with the EU.
4: Yeah, but that could, yeah, I see what you're saying, but it's a bit like you could say you could probably say the same thing for Northern Ireland, <laughs> but then, but there's so many there's an actual land border here. That's the other issue with that one. That's the only country in the whole of the UK that actually has a land border with the EU. So so yeah, there's a big thing there going on with that one. Yes, well, then won't
3: the uh, you know. Whenever if somebody plays, you know, the Brexit march, Irish eyes are smiling.
4: No, I think I don't. I didn't quite understand, but I think no, I think a lot of people in Northern Ireland again they want to stay in the EU. They don't want to go separate.
3: No, I'm I'm saying the Republic of Ireland is, no, no, no. To, is the the nation of Ireland is going to be laughing all the way to the bank because they now are part of the EU, and sort of Britain is going to be sandwiched sandwiched between French EU and Irish EU.
4: What in between both. Uh, uh, The thing is, well, people from Northern Ireland, some have their Irish passports, which are EU, I think that's one point. And also, a lot of this is about trade and money and companies and big business. So... Um, the biggest the biggest trade you know, Ireland does a lot of trade with UK currently. And also even Germany does a lot of trade. They sell the cars to Britain and things like this. <laughs> and it's a lot of it is big business as well, not wanting Brexit to happen because of this. Um but I think most of the countries would want Britain to stay in the EU actually, most people in these EU countries.
3: Oh, I'm sure, but I'm just saying um The nation of Ireland is going to be an even bigger interface to the EU than right now. Britain itself was connected to the EU. Well, when they when they when they Brexit, they're cutting their ties to to the French continent connection through through France. But people will still want to trade, so that so the center of gravity for trade could could head west
4: to go through Ireland. Yeah, maybe, but. Well, but um, except they would have to have similar trade uh, laws, and because they're both EU states, France and Ireland, so it, yeah, they have to basically follow the same laws for the most part, well, the same rules. I'll be
3: back in a moment, but I will. Uh, there, there's a, there's an interesting parallel that I'll mention based on uh,
4: the making of Twelve O'clock High. Making. Mickey- from about 12 o'clock, yeah. Somebody else turned up, to, I think. Anybody else here? Yeah I'm, oh, I'm,
6: yeah, I'm back here. Sorry, I had to jump out of the conversation with you about an hour or two ago.
4: Well, when we talking about UFI, was it? Or...
6: I think it was about immigration in the U.S.
4: Oh, right, I wasn't part of that one. Uh, that was probably the other oh. conversation.
6: <laughs> Oops. I guess now's not a time for one of those comments about
4: you all sound the same. I won't sound the same. I'm from a different country. Well,
3: back in the days of 12 o'clock high, they were flying B-17s with all sorts of blank firing guns and whatnot loaded aboard across the Atlantic, and they landed in the Azores.
4: Wait, wait, hold on on one sec, hold on one sec. Noma, where are you from? Uh, I'm from El Paso, Texas. Okay, so... You sound a bit different, but yeah, the other ones, I I agree, they sound pretty much the same, because it's an American accent, and I I will sound different, because I'm from a different country.
6: Well, yeah, I was saying I thought I had a conversation with you earlier, but maybe you were saying that it was someone else.
4: Yeah, yeah, probably. And you sound like someone else. Let's have this story. Story from uh, Netminer, whoever, whoever it was. Car- carry on.
3: Oh, oh carry on. yeah, go, sorry. Well, well the, they, for some reason, weather or whatnot, they had to fly from the Azores to Portugal and land. Portuguese Customs was a little upset, but somebody pointed out that going from the Azores to Portugal was a, was a local flight.
5: Right, yeah. Okay.
3: The thing to have is... Flights from France to, uh, Ireland are going to be EU flights. They're not international.
4: The fa- <laughs> the, the planes is another one, yeah. I mean, like, The there's like an idea if there's a no, if there's a how Brexit, there's no deal, that basically, or, or maybe this is the old idea and it, it can be. <laughs> It's like no. I think more recently it was like you can. They would be allowed to fly into the EU from the UK, but then they can't go anywhere beyond that, basically. And and you and you can't have UK airlines can't have flights inside the EU either, going between different EU countries, and and all this kind of stuff as well. And then in an emergency, I guess, there's exceptions to that. This plane's going to crash, so we need to land in the EU, and, you know.
3: I believe the British phrase, sticky wicket, is going to be very familiar to many people from the EU.
4: Now, only us Seinfeld watchers.
3: What was that?
7: I said just us Seinfeld watchers.
4: And also, uh I mean, uh, there should be a trade deal with... Uh, Although I think there was some rule, some might, if it's on the transition thing, you can't, UK can't actually make trade deals of its own just yet. we say America, or uh, Japan, or China, or, or whatever. Or Commonwealth countries, maybe. So they so they want to have, so there's like, they would have some control over the UK if there's a, like a transition period that hasn't just left completely, because it took like two years of that, and and if go with the current deal, there's less control as well that's being proposed, and it's uh, it's an absolute it's an absolute mess.
0: Just wanted to break in to say happy new year to uh people in the in the central time zone, uh, Midwest United States, me included. Happy New Year, fifty.
8: Yep, happy New Year, everyone.
4: Happy New Year. uh, uh Happy New Year. Except it's been New Year here, here a few hours already. Um, and it looks like the, for some reason, 2019 is actually allowing America to enter it now as well. As in it hasn't like exploded or something. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, we, we should, uh, since the time zones, uh, I believe
3: go across the border, we should also welcome our Canadian friends in the central time zone. Happy New Year.
4: Yes, Happy New Year, parts of Canada then, and uh, and there's no, I don't think there's any Canadians on here at the moment, but they might be listening to some of them, but uh, they would probably say they're, they're better than the Americans anyway, they are better.
3: And Happy New Year, jingles wherever you are,
4: my favourite British YouTuber. Probably sleeping at this time. Actually, I think he's in Prague. Well, either sleeping then, or, or just waking up if if in Prague, yeah. He may have come home. He was going to be in Prague over Christmas.
3: Happy New Year from Chicago.
4: Yeah, Chicago. Which, um, comes up as being a rough city sometimes on these documentaries, but how rough is it really? And crime and things like that. I'm in the suburbs. There's film. Well, the,
3: the criminals are protected by the best gun control laws in America.
4: What, is it allowed to have...
3: No, Honest Citizen is... The the restrictions on guns in Chicago are very tight, um, and the murder rate
4: is accordingly quite high. Archer, are you a Bears fan?
8: I don't watch sports much, but my wife is a Bears fan.
4: I should watch a little bit more sports, because i got the uh, Sky Sports stuff at the moment. For three years, under a deal that was okay. Well, I will note that the Cubs won the pennant by
3: importing a manager from Boston. Yeah.
8: So I uh, saw something that was sort of interesting today. Uh, 2019 is exactly halfway between Y2K and the end of the 32-bit Unix epoch. So does that mean that we're going to have a doomsday scare again? Fix uh, the problem. Every, everybody's going to be using 64-bit by then, not?
4: Is this the... Oh, is this the... Um one where basically 32-bit processors will not know the date and time anymore because of some reason it will, I think I've read some, yeah. Well,
8: the, the 32-bit timestamp will roll over and it will all of a sudden become 1969
4: again. Yeah, yeah, the date and calendar can't go any further. Is that, is that what it is? Well,
3: actually, if things are declared properly, uh, it should be possible to run 32-bit systems that just that they haven't been able to convert the structures yet.
4: When will that happen? When will it stop and go back to 19... Uh,
8: 2038. January 19th, I think, of
4: 2038. Oh, so not until 2038. That's the last day. Yeah, 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 I think I I remember reading this, but then the whole idea was that a lot of these 32-bit machines will (laughs) probably not really be around as such anymore by then anyway, so, and if they are then it's you can just pretend it's 1969 or um, you know, use some other device to tell the time and date. <laughs> yeah, I
8: I expect it to be about as big of an event as Y2K. That is not really that
4: big of an event. Y2K was mostly a marketing thing, wasn't it? Uh, like with all, you know, all these problems and all that, it didn't happen. Well, actually... Oh, yeah,
3: so actually... Big enough,
6: but nothing happened.
5: I thought that was because mostly because a lot of people worked really hard to fix that problem. That's why nothing actually happened.
8: I think there's something to that, yeah. I mean, I think there would have been some big problems had some work not been done. Um, but I think it was a little bit overblown, too, as well. Sure. On. Wait, hang, but, on, hang,
4: on, hang on a second. Well, I, can't, I can't quite think what the Millennium bug was now and white Cave. Yeah, it was like a, the idea that was... Those are things we're going to go wrong. I can't remember quite now. Mine's gone a bit blank, but remind me.
3: Uh, It was two-byte ASCII dates rolling over to 00 when uh, a lot of stuff had been programmed only to be 1900 through 1999. Uh, They assumed a 19 in front of the year number. So Y2K would have reset every everybody's dates to 1900.
4: Oh, right, so it's like this 32-bit thing. But that would only affect certain servers and things mostly, wouldn't it? And Or things that really have to have the right time and date.
3: Yeah, well, the number of things that have to have the right time and date when they're looking at, uh, like, access times and whatnot on your computer is substantial. However, if they get the structures right which is a large if and start converting, whether it's 32-bit or 64-bit, the structures will be incorporated.
4: Yeah, I guess.
5: I think this is one of those things that uh, a lot of people who, a lot of companies that still rely on older hardware, because there's a lot of companies out there who build these systems, and then because it works, just leave it alone. So there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, whether you think that there's still parallel ports and token ring uh, networking going on, there is. It's just, it's just not that often and they're like non-updated systems that, you know, something that some company, some banker, some shop or something owns that they just it works so they don't do anything to it and it is so outdated that there may be some 32-bit servers out there that when this thing goes through it might actually hit granted by that time i think 2038 that's kind of a long shot for a lot of them but uh you know it could be out there
3: well that's that's like a lot of your atms are still running uh os2 by the way there is a reverse engineered OS 2 called Arca OS that is uh, alive and kicking at le- with at least one foot.
7: It surely that... COBOL will be dead by 2038.
6: You know, everyone thought that it was going to be dead by 2010. Yeah, I don't think is ever going to die. Or Fortran.
7: <laughs> well, hopefully not Fortran.
5: Let's see, they're they're... Programming language like Cobalt and Pascal, where people have have programmed things like, you know, um, banking software and stuff like that, where some people can still get work doing because there's so many people who have, you know, don't know that type of uh, programming language anymore. And they got to fix these things or update them or whatever. Um, I'm still a
3: Pascal fan. Thank you.
4: It's mean slightly different point in a way, but... But the latest, I guess. I mean, even the Linux kernel, it's like, you know, I'm seeing an article about how they're like in their forties now, and it's like, who's going to be the next generation of Linux kernel developers? And it's a, you know, it's a program that's got like, um, over seven million lines of code or whatever now. And so a lot of this, it's, you know, yeah, it's a good point. Who's going to be working on various things in, say, 20 years time? And certain things, I believe, got dropped as well, so, or pretty much, like, even Xorg, so goes to Wayland, because again, it was an old legacy program that's complicated, and they only need so many people now to develop it. So they have to do something different with Wayland.
5: I thought they gave up on Wayland. What was what? Sorry, say that again? So I thought they gave up on Wayland.
4: No, uh, I, I think they carry on Wayland,
1: aren't
4: they? they uh, a, but... a Xorg, wouldn't it? Ubuntu, Ubuntu gave up going, on...
7: It's the Ubuntu that gave up.
4: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But Ubuntu uh, had Myrrh, which was their own sort of thing, similar to Wayland to an extent, or whatever. They've given up on Mer, yeah. But Wayland is still going on, as far as I know. Actually,
3: Mer is still alive and
4: well. It is being. Oh, oh yeah, the IoT, wasn't it, or something? W- no, still... it's
3: being Mer is being refocused as a compositor for Wayland. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Um, That's, that sounds right. Any, I think I read ca- that somewhere.
3: By the way, any, uh, this is the non territon Territon solution. Murr developers would rather switch than fight. Ouch. Yeah, the mirror developers are are trying to make themselves into the independent Wayland uh, compositor. That if you want to put your XFCE or whatever on,
4: come on down. The debate is that, um let's see, Wayland is not needed, System D is not needed, and BTFS and all that kind of stuff is not needed. And some people really believe in that and keep and insist on using distros that, you know, don't support these things, basically.
7: But, you uh, know, I kind of sort of learned timers on System D, so now I'm okay with it.
3: Now, if you're using uh, Duvian... Or, or a lot of the, you, you're finding, I, I was, it was reported that a lot of the software is rapidly aging because they haven't really got substitutes for System D that will allow you to compile
4: things like a modern Firefox. Yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah.
3: Now, because System D has taken over a large chunk of the Linux universe, it's no longer in a, purely an init system or anything, uh, it's becoming a backbone of the kernel, and uh, if you try to have a Linux system without the backbone, you end up with a jellyfish.
8: Well, like I said earlier, I'm still a Slackware guy, so not only do we not have systemd, system D, we still don't even have initd. What does Slackware use? It uses kind of a custom thing that is sort of similar to the bsdrc.d uh, init system.
4: To, to be honest, really, as a, I'm not really a developer or whatever anyway, but as a user, I mean, I, I couldn't really care less about these things as long as it, you know, boots up and all that and it works enough. But I know that some people are totally, they care so much about these things that, yeah.
3: Well, it's also, users come up with the first question in any OS Fat, can it run my software?
4: Well, yeah, the notes can run (laughs) most of the, like, standard software that most people would actually want. And then you could debate that that gamers, it might not quite cater for, but if you want to use, you know, Firefox and LibreOffice or something and all that kind of stuff, it's absolutely fine. Well, the question is, how does Slackware run
3: a modern Firefox or LibreOffice or whatnot? It runs
8: it just fine as far as I know after compiling yeah Well sure sure but I mean it it I mean it comes with the distribution I mean th- those things Firefox and LibreOffice well not LibreOffice Firefox comes with the distribution um LibreOffice you can install uh, or you can compile with a uh, a what they call a slack build script it's it's a script that just you just uh run the script at Untars the source and compiles it like it needs to and everything just works most of the time. Now how do you get updates? Well, the, uh, I mean the, the packages that come with the distribution, um, are updated and there's a variety of tools that you can use to, uh, grab those and, and install those, but they, they are distributed by the distribution as binary packages. Um, a lot of the, The the other packages, though, you have to build yourself, and there's a repository repository out there called slackbuilds.org, and um, it's not a repository of binary packages. It's a repository of of Slack Build scripts that you can use to compile um, and make packages out of all manner of uh, software that's out there, and there's tools to make doing that easier and, and so forth, but that's kind of the process.
3: But you have largely a, a more, may I say, BSD-style build process, the portage-type setup?
8: Yeah, it's a little bit like that, I guess you would say. It's not quite the same as that, but yeah, there's some parallels there um, in terms of, yeah, you, you build the packages uh, from a set of scripts, uh, and then, like I said earlier, the, uh, the init system is, is an RC.D. There's an Etsy RC.D, and then there's just a bunch of scripts in there that, that do the init stuff for the various, uh, services and so on. Um, uh, which is sort of similar to what BSD at least used to be as well. So it's a bit like system V init. Well, I mean, system D is this big monolith as far as I understand. I mean, it's just, it's just bash scripts is all it is.
3: No, I'm saying system V.
8: Oh, oh System yeah. 5. Yes, yes.
3: Correct. Pardon my pronunciation.
8: But like I say, it I I still like Slackware a lot on a server where I'm I'm getting, I'm basically running, you know, a handful of services and I want it to want those services to run and run well on a workstation where you want all kinds of software and you you know, inter, user interface software and stuff. It's a bit uh, challenging, and so that's why I've moved on from on the workstation point of view. So what do you use in your workstation? Uh, I, I'm using Ubuntu, uh, the XFCE version, so Zubuntu, I guess they call it.
3: What's interesting with with me, and I'm doing Ubuntu, or at least XFCE, Ubuntu, is that, that there appears to be a significant difference between let's say, the the Ubuntu core running whatever desktop and the the flavored package. So Ubuntu is a lot more than XFCE plus, let's say, Ubuntu server. Right. The
5: Ubuntu team does a lot of work to try to put their own kind of sauce onto things. Yeah, it's
3: your, your, your own cr- sort of trim and chrome and styling and, you know, it's a branding, well, you know, branding option thing. Right,
5: it's not just ubuntu with x f c on it x f c e on it it's, it's ubuntu.
3: What i'm going to be fascinated by and i'm looking forward to the next l t s is uh l 50 t Fi's been using l x q t
5: recently haven't you
4: i've I've tried l x q t before but it was a bit but it was like what two years ago or something but yeah uh LXDE is being replaced by that as far as I know.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm running LXQT right now. And, uh, it's like, uh, it looks like a basic KDE, I
4: assume, or something like that, yeah?
3: Well, well, I if you just do the QT, right now it's in transition, but if you do the QT side, it seems to be KDE light. Right, what do you, what
4: do you, what, wait a minute. What do you mean you Just if you just do the QT? Well, just, the,
3: in om um, on when you do LX. Uh, QT or LXDE, let's say, on 1804, 1804 is still hybrid GNOME QT. Uh, so you can select LXQT in the QT flavor, where everything's not quite translated. In the next uh, long-term edition, I suspect everything will be translated to QT.
4: Oh, you, yeah. Yes. What, you mean how um Ubuntu? What? Or even, I suppose if you mean have Ubuntu on there. Like, for example, Firefox is actually made for GTK and other other programs as well. But you would be running in that. Is that what you mean? Well, I'm I'm saying that that right now LXQt
3: has some LXDE gnome components, but those components are being Translated or replaced by Qt only component.
4: Oh, oh yeah, LXD, I suppose it did use uh, GTK. Um, I haven't, like I said, used that for ages either. Um, But yeah, that makes sense. They're trying to get rid of the GTK things to be replaced completely by the Qt stuff. And somebody else was going to say something as well, I think, earlier, and then we said, hold on.
3: Clifty, how how are you doing on LXQt?
0: can't complain i didn't it, it doesn't it hasn't quite solved the problems i was having with firefox i think that may be just the hardware on this machine i may get out my other laptop and and uh, replace it replace this eventually is the is the desktop i'm using all the time because i'm i don't have that many tabs open in firefox and it'll just get where it's dog slow slows the whole system down and I either have to restart Firefox or I have to restart the whole system.
5: Now, does that have the defaults? Uh, Qt apps like Dolphin and Conqueror and stuff like that. Conquer,
4: uh, well, is mostly gone now, isn't it? Isn't isn't really worked on the I thought. I don't know. I was just trying to come up with uh, some of the, uh, the the Qt apps that I can think
0: of. Well, I didn't really see a whole lot of you know, not like when you install KDE. It's not like you automatically got Dolphin or something like that.
4: Okay. It's just meant to be a more lightweight desktop interface, I believe, like XFCE or, LX, well, okay, formerly LXE if you like, and um, <laughs> things like that. Okay, not open box, that's a little bit too uh, lightweight in this context, but, yeah. It sounds like XFCE is going to be
3: filling in the place of, of the LXDE uh, for low-spec hardware.
5: Why, you think LXQT is higher respect than uh,
4: XFCE? Also, Marte is probably okay on most old computers still.
3: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just saying that, that uh, XFCE, uh, when you start put, putting in the richness of the KDE environment and the QT environment, things fatten up pretty fast. Right. By the way, I'm not saying anything against them for, for fairly recent hardware. It's just that I'm running some dinosaurs.
5: Said it once, I've said it a thousand times. When it comes to low-spec uh, spec hardware uh, uh desktops, I've always liked Enlightenment.
4: The thing with Enlightenment, I mean, I haven't seen it for probably about a year or two. Probably about a year or two, yeah, about a year or two, I think. But I did try it out a bit, you know, and it, it's got that sort of flashy, blingy type feel. And then also you've got loads of themes for it and so on. Um, and that's just sort of imp- that's the impression I got. So yeah, I like that, was e- that, it... that was that yeah. well, was E seventeen, E seventeen. Yeah, E seventeen. Well, it's about I think the if you go
5: through like Arch, I think there's twenty one or twenty two out right now. Um, but the thing with I always enjoyed about Enlightenment was just the the fact that some of them like some desktops give you the ability to configure. Some of the things some of the things enlightenment seems to give you the opportunity to configure just about everything to the way you want it to look and the way you want it to feel and the way you want it to act if it, it it's, if you could go into the uh, to the uh, to the menus and the uh, the settings me, then you could probably just get you can get it set up to just look like any other desktop environment without having to add any extra themes or anything like that it's and it's it, it it works. It's light. It's very very lightweight, and it looks really like you said. It's flashy. It looks it looks really nice. Oh, I always enjoyed it. E
4: seventeen. So okay, you said e twenty two or some more recent version now. I'm sure, but um, going by what I remember, e seven e seventeen is that it, yeah, it was just seemed flashy and it 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 has the effects and that, but then it kind of wore off and it. Felt more like a toy, really, than a serious interface for doing, you know, usual computer things on. And you could, you could, you could debate and say that Gnome Shell has been like that, and more so in the past as well, and even now a bit, but I do find that it's more blingy that as well. Um and then if you want to actually do some, like, proper task on a computer or work or something, then you, then you probably want to run something like SSE or Mate or, <laughs> UG7 possibly, or KDE even, but something, you know, something with less effects, depending on what you're doing on the computer.
5: Well, you don't need to have the effects.
4: My, 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 my point was that you can
5: set that, you can set up uh, an enlightenment can, system to look you can like- Disable
4: the effects, yeah, yeah.
5: Sure, but you can set it up so it looks like, uh, obviously it couldn't, it's gonna have a harder time looking like KDE, but KDE is kind of, Tighten some of the uh, the the way you can set that up to look, but you can make it look like Mate Xfce, anything else for that matter. But you have the ability uh, to kind of set things up the way you want it to be set up. I mean, it, it isn't just all Flash and on. I, I don't see why it would one would be you like you couldn't like I, I I don't understand the comment of when you wanted to really get down and do some hard work, you have to go into Xfce or, or Mate or something like that. I don't understand that comment.
4: Well, I did say I'm um, basing this on E17. I haven't used the recent version of Enlightenment. I'm going by what I remember of E17. So, yeah, that's obviously a bit older now anyway. <laughs> but I remember when I tried it out, it just seemed very... It just seemed sort of, yeah, it was flashy and it was a bit... um Probably more fun than a serious, like, work interface. Um but, you know, I'm talking about like, probably something like two years ago here, so, <laughs> you know.
3: I think, uh, you're also, just like classic KDE, uh, it's how much effort into being, to using the tunability that you want to put into it.
5: Well, it's also, I mean, once you kind of know the system, I can, like, after I first set up a system, I can set up my, uh, enlightenment system to i don't care whether it's e17 or e22 e21 e19 whatever i can set it up to the way i like my desktop to be set up relatively quickly because it's you know i usually have uh some icons on the bottom for the quick uh, for my quick launching things i usually have them hidden i know how to set that up relatively quick and i usually have the top bar being you know where my um Running applications are taskbar and stuff like and, uh time clock, and whether things are connected are all up well, on the top. So I could set that up relatively quickly, just maybe because I've been using uh, Enlightenment for so long
4: that I mean. But, uh, I should in a way try Enlightenment again, but uh, in this uh, install of Ubuntu I've got on it at the minute, I'm not going to do it because I've had issues where. If you keep on putting, I think there's a, bu- a bug in Ubuntu or something. I should, I need to put my geo or something on there as, as well anyway. But, um, if I put certain interfaces on at times or, or if we've been doing it, it, it sort of goes wrong and i end up in the, um, terminal and stuff. Um, so I just leave this mostly as it is for a minute. Um, but yeah, I should give enlightenment a go in something or the other. Again, really, because it's it probably has progressed a lot since e seventeen anyway, like you seem to be saying yeah that's
3: what I want to that's why I really want to dig into boxes being able to put on relatively pure Linux distros without having to worry about loading things up to compile the guest editions
4: Bo- virtual box boxes do you, do you mean virtual box or non boxes? Gnome boxes. Uh, uh, Oh, gnome boxes. I haven't, I know that's in there, but I've never used gnome boxes. Have you had any more, uh, uh, have you tried uh, using gnome
3: boxes anymore recently? I haven't dug into it, and it, the documentation seems to be touring complete, but,
5: uh, not very detailed. Seems to be one of those things that you're just gonna have to go in and trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, and by the time you're done, we're gonna hope, we're gonna expect you to make us a YouTube video on the proper way to use it.
3: I would suggest you'll be walking from Provincetown to Newburyport first.
5: Where's Newburyport? Uh, <laughs> North Shore. That sounds like a bike race.
3: No, that's, uh, just walking across, uh, Mass Bay.
5: Say, doesn't the pan, that, that sounds like the Pan Mass in reverse.
3: Well, it's relatively straightforward. You just, you just sort of head, uh, north-northwest.
5: I'll have to back up about an hour or so to P-Town first and then start my walk.
3: Well, yes, but besides, walking across Boston Harbor is going to be pretty tiring.
5: But the scenery is lovely.
3: Yes, well, I'm more inner harbor, well, down on the South Shore. Steve,
5: for some reason we can't hear you, bud. I think you're, are you muted? Steve, your lips were lighting up, but I couldn't hear anything. And I can't tell whether it's you or Bennett that's muted.
7: I don't see either one of them muted.
5: I didn't think my vision had gotten that blurry yeah.
4: yet. Yeah, I don't think Steve muted. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, come, take it, turn it off and come back on again. <laughs> close it down and come back on. I think he's doing that. Uh, or has done that. Uh, yeah, try and speak again, Steve, if you just close, bumble down and re- reloaded it. No, it's not. Try again. It might, you might need to do a voice wizard again or something. I don't know, it's weird. Man, you were 25 a minute ago. Or you could do right, a... Even though it's a Linux system, we assume you're on, you can do a uh, Windows and totally and utterly reboot a computer and come back. And then it might just work, yeah. You
5: know what's funny? is this version of uh, Mumble that I have. Every time I log into Mumble, I have to go through the configuration wizard, go through all the settings in there uh, real quick, or when I try to log on, it just won't work.
4: Every time you load up it, you have to do the configuration with the, the uh, voice this is a test message you're talking about that stuff yeah yeah
8: how about now can you hear me now
4: hey there you are yeah, yeah yeah, it's the annoying that wizard stuff and hello Steve what was the problem with your speaker your, your microphone
8: well I'm not sure I'm using a USB headset and maybe it freaked out I just unplugged it and plugged it back in and then restarted mumble and now apparently it's working cool
4: And then the USB headset as well, but I had no problems with this one.
8: Yeah, I haven't had a problem until now, so uh, who knows, something freaky, I suppose.
3: A buddy of mine who used to work on the big Honeywell machines, the big 36-bitters, when they were room-filling machines, said broken hardware will do what it wants. And if the hardware decides to be broken, it will be broken. Indeed. So
8: what I was gonna say before is I was I'm still on the GNOME boxes. I hadn't really been familiar with that. Is that basically just a uh a replacement for vert manager? That's what it kind of looks like from uh the Wikipedia page.
5: Yeah, it's not like a GNOME virtual box, but it lets you run things as uh uh Netminer, you can describe it better. You can run things better as roots. I forgot.
3: Actually, think of it as a Linux uh, version of a
4: virtual box, isn't it a bit like KVM or something? Better a graphical interface. I, don't, I haven't use KVM. Well, yes, but...
3: yes, it is. But what I'm saying is, if you think of it as as the virtual box interface and the setup protocols and everything that you're used to in Virtual Box, but done. Using Linux tools and Linux environment.
4: Done, yeah. Done the GNOME way using the GNOME tools. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, That makes sense. Yeah.
8: Right. I mean, I'm am f- very familiar with uh, QMU, KVM, and libvirt. It's just I usually use. Uh, there's a GUI application called Vert Manager that um, that is kind of part of the whole libvirt
4: thing. That yeah, I, I've, had I, Vert, I but I've had a Vert Manager somewhere as well.
8: Right, and so this looks like kind of a replacement for that, which is cool. Well, if I feel you, like think
3: it, of, you think of it as a wrapper for for all those tools, Vert Manager, rap- maybe rap- another wrapper.
4: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like they've got glim Games as well, haven't they, to allow you to play games with uh, their graphical user interface or whatever.
8: Well, Vert Manager is getting a little bit uh, kind of long in the tooth, if you will, or it's it's not very... Not very pretty and not very user friendly by today's standards and so I'm guessing they're addressing
3: that here also the reason I call it the virtual box for Linux is that it seems again I haven't booted my first machine with it it seems to have a lot of the connectivity stuff and you know maybe display management and stuff like that that you get with a with a virtual box and interconnection stuff and whatnot. So that it's a much more painless experience. Does the networking work easier?
4: Um, I'm gonna say I'm just gonna quickly say this as <laughs> a half joke. Uh, it doesn't matter because VirtualBox for the win. Yeah. Well,
8: the thing I like about Libvirt and Virt Manager and stuff is that I mean, I have I have several servers that run virtual machines and I can fire up vert manager on my local workstation and access virtual machines running on the server, uh, which I don't know if you can do that with VirtualBox, and I suppose you probably can with this GNOME Desktop, uh, GNOME Boxes thing.
3: That's exactly what GNOME Boxes' big deal is, uh, its ability to reach out and touch other machines and other services on distant machines. Again, I haven't worked this stuff out. I, this is going to be, um, you know, this is this is uh, going to be a learning cliff system. Yeah, but...
4: I, I, that sounds interesting, but but in a way, regardless of that, although that sounds very interesting, if you have got other machines, I mean, you know, it's like virtual is generally people's like. You you know, you say say something, you can do virtual machine, you'll go virtual box to the next user. Or you might just say VMware if you're a bit more old school as well. You might go, yeah, there's a VMware player or something as well. You don't, people don't really go, yeah, okay, you can do a virtual machine where you've, operating system inside an operating system, you can use this, uh, Gnome uh boxes like, you know, no one really says that on the support channel, do they? Or you can run this KVM thing, or you can run VertManage manager, or you can run you know, it'll be virtual box, virtual box at least in Ubuntu and stuff, it'll be VirtualBox, VirtualBox recommended. But I'm I'm just but these other things are good as well, of course, that they're there and that that and that you can use them for certain things you can't do with virtual box even. You just gave an example, it seems. Well
3: what Gnome Boxes seems to be is a way to do virtual box type stuff without the many um, interface layers that makes VirtualBox easy to use. I mean, you know, the complete the virtual box environment is luxurious, but it also requires uh, first you you have to have the extensions, the extension pack, and then you have to have the client well,
4: extension. Well the extension pack is only for some extra features in MetroBox that are actually proprietary otherwise. And also uh this the G whatever he's called just turned up, but he had a weird noise trying to do the microphone, I think. Try again, let's see. Try your microphone again, I guess. Well that... Well, that sounds odd. Uh, I think you need to see the mumble uh, voice configuration again, or reload mumble or something like that. Nope, it's still squeak squeak for some reason. Something's wrong there.
7: You've got the chipmunk setting turned
4: on. Is there actually a chipmunk setting, or is that a joke? (laughs) Either that, he's got to feed his mumble a banana. Hey guys,
8: I uh, think I'm going to bug out. I've got some things to do in the morning, and uh, so I'm going to call it quits for tonight. It's good, been good talking to everybody. Happy
4: New, happy new Year! New year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year. I'm, I'll go in about an hour and a bit as well, but not just yet. All right, catch you all later.
7: I meant to ask: Was Steve one of the new Mintcasters?
8: Uh, no. No. Joe is though.
7: Well, we got one of you here. I just wanted to say, good work picking up the mantle. It's still a good show, and you guys make it good and better. Thank you. Uh, Picking up the mantle. It's still a good show, and you guys make it good and better.
9: Thank you. I'm glad people are enjoying it.
1: You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday.